Looking at the subjects of gathering, going, giving, and gifting. And this morning we're going to be thinking about gathering. Uh, To help us as we do that, would you please open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. And Hazel is going to come and read God's word for us. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you open up your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, as we come to hear from God's word, what he has to teach us, let's go to him and ask for his help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together and hear from your word as we do that now. Would you challenge us and convict us? Would you encourage us? Lord, you know our needs. Would you meet them and would you teach us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're thinking about gathering, which begs the question, why bother? Why gather? What are we doing when we meet together as believers, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ Sunday by Sunday? What's the purpose? I mean, what's the actual purpose? And what should we really prioritize as we gather together? In response to the question, why gather, um, as good presbys, we're probably going to say to worship God, which of course is absolutely correct. That's why you hear that throughout our services. They start off, we're here to worship God. Most weeks you'll hear things like, let's stand as we worship God by singing, or let's worship God with our offering, or let's continue our worship as we talk to God in prayer, or as we bring our worship to a close, the list goes on. And I think, I think we get that at Eden Derry. I think we understand that we're here to worship God as we listen to scripture being read, as we mumble our way through the songs that we don't like and belt out the ones we do. And ultimately, as we hear what God has to teach us through his word by the power of his spirit. Yes, we're here to worship God. But if that's all worshiping God really is, if that's all Sundays are for, then let me ask you, Why do we need to gather together to do that? Why can't we just read the Bible for ourselves and worship God in the comfort of our own duvets? Why can't we just put on a CD or a podcast with a world-class preacher rather than have to come out and listen to me? 
Why can't we listen to and sing along at home to hymns that are more our style, our era, our tempo, our arrangement, rather than come to church and get an assortment of things that we may or may not like with instruments we may or may not like? Why can't we worship God by setting up a standing order to mission organizations or Christian charities instead of dragging ourselves out of the house to put an envelope in the plate? You know, maybe in 21st century Northern Ireland, in an individualistic world that really has affected us far more than we're willing to admit, maybe our view of what it is to worship God is too personal and too small. Maybe our scope for Sunday morning gatherings is too limited. Picture the scenario with me. Britain declares war on, let's say, the United States of America. It turns out Boris and Donald don't get on. It could happen. And what began as a Twitter spat about who has the better hairstyle has escalated into full-on warfare. So Britain gets its very best soldier, the most gifted fighter, most intelligent tactician. And they give this man the best that they have to offer in terms of weaponry and ammunition and armor. And then they send him off by himself to take on the might of the U.S. of A. One very skilled man, well-equipped, off to war with hopes of a nation on his shoulders. How would he fare? Yeah, you're right. Not well. He'd be a dead man walking. There's no chance of survival there at all unless he burrowed underground into hiding. And even then, eventually, he'd probably get caught and be disposed of. See, war is never to be fought by just an individual, and warfare is never a one-man mission. When it comes to survival, you need more than just yourself, especially in difficult circumstances, especially in warfare. And scripture tells us that Christianity, the path that Christians walk, is one which is filled with difficult circumstances. The Christian life is a life of warfare, not against flesh and blood, but as Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us, it's warfare against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So why gather? Well, because Christianity is not an individual sport, but it's a team game. And gathering together is key for our survival. You know, on top of that as well, we could say that gathering together is a display of God's glory. But we need to gather together if we're going to survive. You know, we saw this with the kids earlier. Take penguins, for example. They huddle together up close and personal in order to survive. If they don't huddle together, they'll freeze in the harsh Antarctic conditions and they'll die. But they're not the only animals to understand the importance of being together in order to thrive and survive. Sardines, for example, they travel in huge schools of incredible numbers because although many of them will get eaten by predators, they know that if they stick together and move together, more will survive and they won't be wiped out. Animals that hunt in packs do so because it increases their chance of getting a meal and therefore surviving. And for Christians, we're no different. Gathering together is key for our survival. For us us as Christians, it's part of our worship. It's an integral part of our worship to gather together because it's essential for healthy Christian living. 
gathering together is a key distinctive of the church of Jesus Christ. It's an absolute necessity if you're a Christian. Now, it's pretty common uh, to think that these days, you know, when it comes to following Jesus, as long as you've got yourself and your eternity sorted out, the weekly Sunday gathering of the church, it isn't so important. And we can think that in many different ways, ways in which I, I'm sure that we're not even aware of. For example, we can think that if my personal relationship with Jesus is sorted, the gathering bit, I can take it or leave it. Or we can think we don't need to commit to one particular place. Or we think I can just go, stick it out for the worship service thing for the 70 minutes or so. But I don't need to get invested, especially not with people. Or we think I'll go if I have enough time or I've got everything that I need to get done done. And this isn't a new wave of thought that's sweeping through Christianity. It's been about since the beginning of Christianity. And it's a problem. That's why the writer of the letter to, letter to the Hebrews says, chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the me and Jesus mindset, the thought process where actually I could take or leave the gathering of the local church, it completely ignores the significance of the local church and of other people. It denies the truth that the church and God's people are essential to our own healthy Christianity and essential to God's plan for this world. It actually ignores the fact that pretty much every New Testament book, at least almost every letter, was written to a local church, to people, for the building up of the local church, so that as the local church gathered and then scattered, they would be equipped to know and follow Jesus, even in the midst of much difficulty. An individualistic Christianity is not left to us as an option if we're followers of Jesus Christ. God is far too gracious for that. He calls us to gather together. The passage that Hazel read earlier for us, Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17, makes that clear, I believe. Uh, The letter of Colossians was written to the church in Colossae by the Apostle Paul. And at this point in the letter, chapter 3, in my opinion, one of the most glorious, um, helpful chapters in all of Scripture, Paul turns his attention to what it is to live as Christian people. Uh, Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4, Paul talks about the union that believers have with Jesus Christ. That actually, if you are uh, in a relationship with Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you share in his perfect life, you share in his death, and you even share in his ascension, pointing us to the truth that one day we will share eternal life with Jesus in glory. This is written to believers. After all, the church is made up of believers. So if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, If you don't know him in a personal, saving way, these benefits of the church are not yours. You're not right with God, and you need to call out to him in repentance and faith, and you can do that today. But from going to the believer's benefits in Christ, Paul moves in verses 5 to 11 of chapter 3 to how believers ought not to live, the ways of the world that Christians need to put to death in their own lives. 
And then in our passage today, he brings our attention to how we ought to live as God's chosen people in the local church as we gather together. This passage is specifically about the local church. And it's got lots to teach us. I really believe this has a lot to teach us here in First Portadown about what God wants from us as we gather together as we worship him. Let me encourage you, look down at your passage now. Cast your eyes on those five verses that we read. Can I, can I encourage you to actually do that right now? Look at your Bibles, verses 12 to 17 of chapter 3. And let me ask you this. How many of those verses would you actually associate with what you classify as Sunday morning worship in the local church? How many of those verses would you actually associate with what it is to worship God in the church? I think if we're really honest, we're probably going to go with verses 16 and 17, and only then. Verse 16 says that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So singing, and yeah, we do that. We associate singing with Sunday morning worship. And verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's more general worship chat, isn't it? You know, praying or offering the sermon, Bible reading, it could all sort of fit into the categories that verse 17 is talking about. But that's two verses out of five. What about the main bulk of what The Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, is teaching us about our worship together, about what we should be doing as we gather together as the church. Well, actually, it's all about how we interact with one another, isn't it? Paul talks a lot about our relationships, relationships that are key to our future and survival as Christians. It's all about how we, people in this room, interact with one another how we care for and about one another, how we speak to and about one another, how we love each other. And I think as you read through this passage, it's fairly obvious that the Lord expects us as we gather to actually have relationships with our fellow worshipers, with our partners in the gospel, with those who are also in Christ Jesus and share his blessings and benefits, with those who are members of the same local church that we are. And the Lord wants us to have actual relationships with one another. Not just, you know, people who will give an awkward nod to when we sit beside them on a Sunday morning or pass them in the street during the week. I'll confess, I think I find this naturally easier than others. I'm the sort of person who likes to have relationships. I like people in general. But I really don't think, looking at this passage, that this is merely my opinion. And let me stress, you shouldn't care about my opinion. I don't even care about my opinion. I know that it changes depending on how many cups of coffee I've had in the morning. But in these few verses, the commands given by Paul, they're all in the plural. He's speaking to everyone in the church. They're to all God's people. And they're all about how we interact with one another. That assumes relationships are taking place. To have relationships with the people that we gather with, actual, deep, meaningful, impactful relationships, 
Paul tells us, isn't an optional add-on. It's an imperative. And it really doesn't come down to whether or not you're an extrovert or an introvert, whether you're comfortable with people that you'll get stuck into the relational uh, work that God calls his people to. The generation or the culture that you come from doesn't factor into God's thinking when he expects us to be in relationship with fellow believers. No, I really believe this is a matter of whether we take the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us and its implications for how we should live seriously. Do we take Jesus and his commands seriously? Do we understand that when we worship at those who have been raised with Christ, whose lives are hidden in Christ, Christ our very life, we worship with other believers who are the same, who've been grafted into Jesus just as we have, who are connected to the same life-giving vine that we're connected to. People who are going to spend eternity in the same place that we are. People like God And his wisdom and his grace has given to us to encourage one another in our spiritual walks. People that we need to have relationships with if we're to be faithful, fruitful Christians in the long run. Like, look around this room. God, in his generosity, has given us one another for our good and his glory. I think if we get that, and God will help us get that if we allow him to work in our hearts and lives. If we get that, we should deeply desire to get to know our fellow believers well. To care for them, to care about them, to have relationships that matter, that make a difference and last. That's not to say you have to be best friends with everybody in this room. That's an impossibility. But God wants us all to get stuck into the relationship, relationship, relational work that he calls us to. You know, on holidays, um, on occasion, I've been to some churches where the Bible hasn't even been opened in the service, uh, where the gospel, in my opinion, was watered down or not even preached at all. And let me tell you, even in some of those places, I found them to be some of the most welcoming places I've ever been to. There was a clear love for each other in some of those churches. And yes, if you ask my opinion, I'd say their doctrine was weak. If you asked me, did they take scripture seriously? I'd say, probably not. Definitely not as seriously as we would take it here. But we can learn from churches like that, and we should learn from churches like that. Yes, in reality for them, if the gospel is not the driving factor in all that they do, they'll have little lasting effect. But by the same measure, if we are only about our beliefs and our order and our way of doing things, but not also equally about a deeply relational culture of believers who know one another and care for one another we're nothing but hypocrites and no one in their right minds should listen to a single word we say we need to be a place where the love of God is made tangible to one another and how we relate to each other how we practically serve one another's needs that's a huge part of why we gather. To do that, we need to be people who hang around and talk to one another, not people who run away as soon as the benediction is said. We need to put our selfishness to death and serve one another's needs. 
having relationships when we gather, taking advantage of the spiritual reality that we're in relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that takes us from being on a one-man mission that will only fail. And instead, it helps us to spur one another in the faith, support each other, be cared for. Jesus Christ is a savior who shed his blood to bring us into right relationship with our heavenly father. But one of the benefits for us now is the relationship of the family that he calls us into in this church to support and care for us. If you look down at your passage, you'll see that the Lord doesn't actually expect our relationships to be smooth sailing. After all, we're sinful people, sinful hearts, selfish and self-centered preferences and desires. And they're always going to try and interfere with what we do. And that's why we're told to have humility, to have patience, to verse 13, bear with one another and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. We're not told we can't have disagreements or differences. We surely will. If you're around this church, you know that we surely do. But we aren't to let those differences divide us. We shouldn't allow for grumbling hearts to outdo compassionate hearts. We aren't to allow bitterness to take root and to allow sin to grow and permeate throughout our fellowship. God tells us that our unity when we gather, our relationships when we gather, are far too important to allow that. Verses 14 and 15 remind us of this. It says this, And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. We're to put on love in order to be one as a church. We're like Christ, not ourselves, to rule our hearts in order to have unity. That's a huge part of why we gather. So what's that look like for us in practice? Well, take how we do things here on a Sunday morning, for example. Every single person in this room will have their preferences when they come here to worship God. Each one of us will like to have God's word read in a certain way, maybe from a certain translation. We will probably want prayers carried out for certain things in certain ways. We probably want to sing and sing with gusto and thankfulness, as verse 16 says. But we'll all have a different understanding of what that looks like. Some of us might even want to have the offering conducted in a certain way, and that's fine. You're going to have your preferences about hymn books or PowerPoint, but organ or piano or band. But you know, if we care more about those things than we care about our fellow worshippers, if we care about those things to the detriment of our relationships with our fellow worshippers, I don't think we really have love here. 1 Corinthians 13.2 tells us that if we don't have love, we're nothing. Worthless. God's not interested in our worship here if we don't have love for him and each other. If we're more vocal with our complaints before people about our church than we are vocal with petitions before God for our church, we haven't taken his word seriously and we don't have love. We don't value relationships and each other. That's that which God deems necessary and vital to healthy Christian growth. 
Now, none of this is to take away from all the other integral parts of Sunday morning worship. Not at all. As we gather, we want to praise God. We want to bring our laments to God. We want to be taught by God and changed by God. But the reality is, and the wonder is, that God in his great mercy and infinite wisdom has given us to each other to help one another do those things. God in his sovereign plan for reaching and transforming people in this world uses people like us. And so he's given us to one another to go deep in relationships with one another. He's given strugglers like us, fellow strugglers, who will help bear our burdens and propel us onto Christ. He's given those who are hurting here other gentle and kind believers in this congregation who can care for you and bind you up and love you. He's given those who have sinned and perhaps sinned seriously, forgiving and patient believers who can help you repent, who can help you see the grace of God and the wonder found in his forgiveness. You know, I've experienced this firsthand. I have known the grace of God in new, deep, meaningful ways. As people in this room have loved me and supported me and cared for my family in times of suffering. When godly men and women have given me good advice in hard times. And when people have been patient with me despite all my meanness. That's what the church is for. And I realize that might, might not be your experience of church. It might not even be your experience of this church. And if that's the case, I'm truly sorry. That is not God's plan for us as we gather. Let me encourage you. God has graciously bestowed on this church a whole host of faithful men and women who are here to serve you and love you, to care for you and point you to him. Such is the generosity of Jesus to sinful people like us. Don't allow for your past experiences to make you run away But can I encourage you, find those people. They are here. Allow for yourself to be cared for, to have deep, meaningful devotion and be cared for. And as we close, let me encourage you, if you are on the periphery here, please don't be content to stay there. Don't be content to stay there. Jesus Christ has provided warm devotion in this church to help you survive as a Christian, to help you grow as a Christian, to help you witness and thrive and live faithfully as a Christian. Don't stay on the outside. Don't allow for yourself to be an unknown entity. Jesus Christ came and he bled and he died and he rose to gather us into his community. So that weekly, Sunday by Sunday, we may gather and point one another to him. That's for our good. That's for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has created us for yourself to meet Sunday by Sunday to worship you. But Father, we thank you that in your generosity and your grace and your wisdom and your love for us, you have given us one another. Lord, help us not to neglect the grace that you've given us, but help us to steward it well. 
Lord, would you grow in our hearts a deep love for each other? Would you help us to be people who bear with one another, who are forgiving, who are quick to speak words of encouragement? Lord, be with us and change and challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.